You may be seated. Father, as we uh, go into this time of the sermon, I, I pray that that worshipful spirit would continue. As we look at your word, see what it says, know that it was written for us to speak to us, even 2,000 years after the original recipients. Oh, I pray that it would speak directly to us and that you'd help me share it in a way that's both clear and accurate and on a morning like this morning, even comforting. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It was about six or seven years ago when I did my first funeral for a family member. Now, I'd done many funerals before, and, and I, know, I knew all the right things to do at a funeral, the right things to say, to meet with the family and talk. But this was my family that I was meeting with. And it, my grandfather died when I was five, so this was the next grandparent to pass away. Again, six, seven years ago, it was my grandmother, really close with her. And I remember meeting with my senior pastor at the time and thinking, you know, how am I going to get through that service with the emotions of it? I've never done this before. What's that going to be like? And so he kind of talked me through that, walked me through that, and we prayed together. And then the day the funeral came, and I was in uh, Chillicothe, where I was raised, Chillicothe, Illinois, and uh, in the funeral home, delivering the message. And to me, I felt like I was very emotionally steady. I mean, it, it, was, it was not a hard thing to get through the service. And then at the end, <clears throat> when everyone had left, and it was just family members in the room, and the casket was still open, and I saw my grandfather go up and look at his wife and say his goodbyes. And at that moment, all of that emotion came flooding in. And I was thankful because it was after the service was over that I was able to to, to, to be that person in the front and say what I needed to say, but at the end, to have that emotion really hit me and the grief that came up. And I've thought about that. You know, I know part of it's the Holy Spirit that, that allowed the strength to get through the service and, and be emotionally steady, but also at the end to work through that grief part as well. But the other thing I think about on that day is Christians grieve with so much hope that we talk about heaven and that service was centered around my grandmother's faith and the fact that we knew where she is now we know that but at the end to see my grandfather and him expressing his goodbye there's a real loss there's a real loss and so christians kind of live in both worlds on that that there's real loss but at the same time, there's real hope. And, and, and that changes the way we do funerals, the way we do death. Would you turn to 1 Thessalonians 4? And I want to show you the way Paul writes about it. <clears throat> he has a very similar way of talking about this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. 
This is our, uh, before we read this as you're turning, this is our final message on the church as a community. We've been going through uh, the church as a community of faith, the church as a community of love, and then now finally the church as a community of hope, leading into our 50 Days of Heaven series that will uh, kick off this week. This is what Paul says in verse 13. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The church is a community of hope. That is, one of the things we do as a church is hope together. And Paul says in that verse 13, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who've fallen asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So he's saying there's a very, there's a very big difference between Christians who grieve and the world that grieves. And that makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, if you subscribe to materialism, not, not, not the materialism of like, I want to have more stuff, that's materialism, but the philosophy of materialism says there is no eternal soul, that the material life is all there is. And if that's your view, then when you die, there's a very different kind of loss. The loss of life, the loss of existence, the loss of consciousness. You're truly and utterly gone if you're a materialist. So there's a very real grief that that person's going to feel at a funeral that's very different from a Christian because when we grieve, we don't grieve like that person that died is at a loss. No, it's us that's at the loss, right? When we grieve, we say, I'm at a loss because I don't get to see Grandma anymore for a while. But she's not at a loss because she's in a much better place. She's in a place of perfect peace, perfect happiness, perfect joy, no pain. That's a very different kind of grief. But I want you to tell you, you know, in some circles, I think there's almost this super spirituality of like a Christian doesn't grieve at all. Like you should go into a funeral like joyful, and sometimes we are joyful. But there is a very real element of loss, and don't let anybody tell you different. There is very real loss when you go to a funeral, no matter who it is, because you don't get to see that person for some time. There is loss. So we do grieve. Paul makes that clear, but we grieve with hope. Let's talk about why we have hope then. Uh, I just want to kind of share five observations from the text. Uh, You don't have to write them down, but I just want to work through them and then make a conclusion that I believe is very hope-giving. So let's, five quick observations about resurrection and how it relates to our hope. Number one, the foundation of our hope is the death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. So the scripture says, We believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then he goes on to explain Jesus coming back and and coming on the clouds. So when you think about hope, our hope is in the death, 
resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a true hope. It's not like, I hope I still have a job on Monday, because most likely when I wake up tomorrow, I will have a job. But even more than that, Jesus did die on the cross, He did raise from the dead, and He is coming back. He's definitely going to come back. That's our hope. It's both past and what's happened and, and future. It, it, it's both. Even though hope is primarily future-oriented, it's grounded in the past. So, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, I would be guilty of my sin for the rest of my life, and I would be judged one day in front of God, the final judge. And there'd be no hope for me without the death of Christ. Likewise, without the resurrection of Christ, I would have no assurance that death is not the final thing, that that, that death doesn't get the last word. But when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, he showed death doesn't overcome life. Death is just transition to resurrected life. So that's different. Resurrection changes my hope. And then finally, the return of Christ says, I got something to look forward to in the future. Jesus isn't done with this earth. He's going to return and reign here for a thousand years. So as messed up as everything is, God says, yeah, I know, and that's why I'm sending my son. I'm going to send him back, and he's going to fix everything. He's going to redeem everything. That's the return. So that's the foundation. Now, I want to say something about the Thessalonians here in number two. I think it's pretty clear in this passage that the Thessalonians know all about Jesus' death and his resurrection and his return. But what are they ignorant of? This is very important. What, it, what are they ignorant of? Well, verse 13 tells us, right? So, uh, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. So, they know Jesus died. They know he rose from the dead. They know he's coming back. What they don't know is, what about people that have already died? Do they miss out on Jesus' second coming? Are they going to miss when Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years during the millennium. Are they going to miss out on that? And Paul's like, you need to know this. You need to understand this. That's what they were ignorant about. Just an observation. Number three. The resurrection of the body happens during the rapture. So look again with me at the text. He says, uh, verse 15, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we are going to go meet Jesus in the clouds, but the dead go there before the rest of us. So the resurrection of the body happens during the rapture. We all get a new body together. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying the dead aren't going to miss anything. And if you're cremated, you're not going to miss anything. And if your body is decomposed, you're not going to miss anything. In fact, you get to be in the clouds first. Now, because the Scripture also tells us it's a twinkling of an eye, I don't think we're going to be waiting a long time like, okay, I see them, when, when, when do we go, you know? But, but, but there is a moment, you know? We were at a birthday party last night, and, and they were doing the pinata thing, you know? swinging, you know, and, 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 the, and the flying dinosaur across the way, and you're, and you're trying to hit it. And every time somebody hit it, a few more pieces of candy came out of the mouth. I've never seen this before, but the dinosaur was like spitting candy. It was awesome. Um, and uh, every, every time we do a pinata, it's always like one hit, and it all goes everywhere, you know. 
But this one was spitting candy, and every time the dinosaur spit candy, the kids would run up and grab it. And uh, if you were in the back of the crowd, like one of my boys, uh, you weren't the first one in there. And everybody would grab like the three pieces, and then they'd go back and like hit it again. You know, So there's a waiting. There's a waiting, and people there in the front get to go first, and the people in the back are like, you know, there's a moment where I'm going to get this, you know. Paul is saying that's the way the rapture works. There is a moment, we don't know how long it is, when we're going to see the dead in Christ rise. And then we're going to know that in another moment we're going to be up there with them. But they get to go first. So there's no worries about where your body is, how decomposed it is. God will raise it, and it's going to be the first in the clouds. Now I also need to make another observation about this, number four. Um... That also means, we need to make this really clear, the spirit of the believer is already with the Lord. This is not soul sleep, okay? You know what, you know what I mean by that? that? There are some branches of religion that would teach that when you die, your body goes in the ground and, and your soul's in kind of a state of rest. And, and, and then at some point, then it's resurrected. That is not true. Because Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. So, if, if you've got some of that baggage of soul sleep, that is not true. It's not biblically accurate. When you die, your soul goes to be with Christ. When you close your eyes in death, you open them, and you're in the presence of God. But your body goes in the ground, and it's still important. Your body is still important because it's going to get raised up. Number five. Uh, I'll just say, this is a very noisy event. Did you notice that? There's a lot, a lot of noise. You're going to hear Jesus shout. We don't know what he's going to shout. It's kind of like, I think the word is a word for like a military command. He's going to give a shout, like maybe like the time is now, or, or you know, arise angels, or, or something. Or, or maybe he will say, arise from the dead, and then everybody will come out. Some people have said, you notice when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he would have said, come forth, everybody would have come back from the dead. You ever thought about that? You know, Lazarus, and, and there were like 500 Lazarus as it suddenly went, what? You know, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know, but Jesus is going to say something. He's going to shout something, and then everything's going to happen, and the dead are going to rise, and then we're going to meet him in the clouds, and then the archangel's going to say something, we don't know what he's going to say, but he's going to say something too. And then a trumpet's going to blast. And on the trumpet blast, all this is going to happen. Um, this is a noisy event. If you stay for cross training, which you should, 1045 in here, I'm going to ask you, do you think the whole world is going to hear this? I'll ask you that. It's just an interesting question. Okay. Um, and then, uh, let's say one more thing. Uh, I don't have a sixth observation, but I think I want to make a sixth observation. Um, this is the rapture of the church. We call this the rapture. I'm guessing the majority of you are probably pre-tribulational rapture people. If you don't know what that means, it just means that you know, there's that seven final years on earth, the Antichrist comes during those seven years. And pre-trib rapture means before those final seven years, before the Antichrist, we get caught up to be with Christ. We get out of here before all that happens. Some of you might be post-trib rapture, which means the church is going to go through 
part or all of the tribulation on earth. And at the end, Christ will catch us up to be with him at the end of the tribulation. But regardless of where you are, the fact is we're going to be with Christ in the air. We're going to be there. We should be watching for this. We should be waiting. We should be expecting it to happen. Now, I want to make, I think, the main point Paul's trying to make here. Uh, If we could bring up our conclusion. Now, remember what I said. The Thessalonians already know about the death and resurrection of Christ, otherwise they wouldn't be the church yet. They know Jesus is coming back for them. This is information they already have. What they were ignorant about is that what happens to loved ones when they die. And so Paul wants to make it clear, the resurrection gives us hope. We are a community of hope, of eternal physical relationships with Jesus and our church family. Our hope is that we get to be forever together with Jesus and with our church family. Now you notice what he doesn't say. When he's writing about hope, he doesn't say, well, people you already know to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. That's another book he wrote that in. He talks about the soul in another place. And in Philippians, when he's like, I'm longing to go to the Lord. I don't know what I should choose. He doesn't say, we have hope because the soul goes to be with Jesus. Even though that is absolutely 100% true, he doesn't say it like that. How he says it is, look forward to the fact you're going to have a reunion with all the people that you've lost that are in Christ. A physical reunion. Like, we're going to be in the clouds and you could physically give somebody a high five that you haven't given a high five in decades. You can give somebody a hug. It's a physical reunion. Now, I know for some of you, reunions don't bring up good memories at all. You know, like your high school reunion's coming up, right? Your, your, your 25th high school reunion, you're like, you know, what do I look like? You look in the mirror and you're like, oh boy, you know. Uh, you get a resurrection body. And sometimes at your family reunion, uh, you know, your family reunion, you know, like your aunts and uncles are complaining about the body pain, you know, and, and that's real. That's real pain. No more of that. It's not one of those reunions. This is a reunion of like, we're all in perfection. You're never going to look as good as you do then, you know? And you're not going to have any pain. And you're going to be with Jesus. But Paul's point is, let me tell you the location of your next family reunion. It's in heaven. It's in the clouds. It's going to be there in the sky. That's where it's going to happen. You're not going to stay there forever in the sky, of course, but that's where it starts. And it's physical. So for those people that act like the body's not important, what you do in the body's not important, you can sin or whatever, or, or that God doesn't care about physical stuff, He only cares about spiritual stuff, that couldn't be more false. God cares about your body, and He wants to give you a new one, reconstituted from the old one. It's a physical reunion, and it's an eternal reunion. Okay, now, if that's supposed to give us hope, Let me make a few uh, application statements to you, and hopefully these will make sense, because that's an amazing statement. Maybe you know it. If you've done enough Easter Sunday services, you know this already. I want to apply it to you. I want you to think about it. I want you to chew on some things here. So number one, a few things to chew on. Uh, Let's say this. Not knowing is not good. Some people act like... uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen in heaven. We don't know what's on the other side. So we just kind of leave it in the dark. You know, we, we don't know. And what God wants you to know is, not knowing is not good. You need to know what's going to happen. 
You need to know what happens when you close your eyes in death and open them on the other side. You need to know it's not some sort of mystery. Even though, yeah, you'll, you'll see things you've never seen before. I, I get that part of it. But you need to know what's going to happen. The Lord's provided us with the details to give us hope. Ignorance is not bliss. Walking around wondering is not okay. You need to know because your hope depends on it. And that's why we're studying heaven. If you know what's awaiting you in the next life, that will change the way you do this life. It'll change your perspective on everything. Not knowing is not okay, especially when we have a book that's full of information on this. So if somebody tells you, well, it's more than we can imagine, you know, we, we just wouldn't, you know, I know it's more than we can imagine, but we've been told quite a bit. We need to know what it is. Number two, chew on this one. Uh, more than charts, beasts, and debates, eschatology is revealed to bring us comfort. Comfort. So, this is what the Word says. Verse 18. I've told you about Jesus coming back. Now I want you to argue whether it's pre-trib or post-trib. Go, church. That's what Paul said. No. Um, John wrote Revelation. There's lots of beasts in there. Ought to freak you out, kids. No. If you've read the whole book of Revelation, the best thing you can do with it is chart it. That's the best thing you can do. No. Now, yes, you sh- it's fine to have charts. I, we got them in our study Bibles. It's all good, you know. But eschatology, that's a study of the end times. That's the word eschatology. Paul says, here's why I'm telling you this. Verse 18, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. If you don't use your knowledge of prophecy and end times to build up other people, you're missing it. God told you about heaven. He told you about the millennium. He told you about the tribulation so you could encourage people with those words. He told you about the rapture so you could have real hope that would change the way you view your life right now. And charts are great. I've spent a lot of time in school. Charts are great. But the charts are not what I put my hope in. Seeing Jesus in the clouds is where I put my hope. Being there with you is where I put my hope. That's number two. Um, I want to say anything more about that. I think I'll, I'll say one more thing about number two. Um, I just think it's a shame that churches have split over eschatology when it's supposed to build them up. That God gave it to give the church hope. And instead we've started an argument and we've said, oh, you're this? Well, I'm this. We can't worship together. What? You know, you, you can't let that happen. And I've met far too many Christians. And, and if you're one of them, I'm not going to spare you right now. If you're in this category, I've met far too many Christians that want to divide the church over minute details of what's going to happen in the future. That cannot be here. It cannot be. Because this information is given to give us hope, not to split us up. Okay, number three. Uh, so, the church ought to use accurate and sensitive words when comforting the bereaved. If you're grieving, we need to use accurate words and sensitive words. Sometimes we fail in either of these. 
You know, uh, you've been to a funeral and you've heard people say, I've heard it a number of times, uh, well, that person's with us right now. False. That's false. And we've got to call that out. We've got to talk. I'm not saying you've got to stand up in the service and make a scene. I'm not saying you've got to be one of those people, but we've got to deal with that. If you've got to write a letter to the pastor that said it, you've got, you got to deal with that because that's not accurate. That's, we call that folk theology. It's theology that just grows up into the culture and it makes us feel good, so we say it. Not true. They're not with us now. If they're a believer, they're with Christ. That's where they are now. So we've got to use accurate words. Just saying things that feel good is not good enough. And yes, that means sometimes I just said we shouldn't be divisive. On the other hand, I'm saying we've got to stand on the truth. And if, if there's falsehood being spoken at funerals, we've got to say something about it. Accurate words. But also um, sensitive words. You know, I'll never forget hearing a uh, well-known Christian leader say when his son died that people in the church would come up to him and say, like right after his son died, they'd say things like, well, you know, God works all things together for the good. And I know that's true. And I know that's a wonderful promise. But in the moment of shock, I don't know if I could say that in that moment. I think there's other words I need to share. Like words like First Thessalonians, like, you know, you're going to see him again. You're going to see him again. It's going to be in the clouds with Christ. That's accurate and sensitive. I mean, we just ought to consider what's the sensitive word in that situation and not give just a pat answer. There may be time to talk about God works everything together for the good. There may be time for that at some point. But you've got to consider what that person's going through in that moment and what biblical truth would actually bring comfort. Which is why uh, you notice how Paul wrote it. In, if you doubt what I'm saying right now, I'm just going to make the point even more forceful. What Paul does right here is, like I said before, he could have said, don't grieve like without hope. Don't be ignorant. Your loved one, his soul and her soul is already with the Lord. Done deal. But instead he really wants to give him comfort and he says, you're going to see him again. You're going to see him in the body. I'm just saying that's extra comforting to a person grieving. All right, number four, and uh, finally, I'm going to say it one more time. The location of our next family reunion is in the clouds with Jesus. We're going to be there with him. The question is, have you RSVP'd to go there? Have you RSVP'd for the reunion? Dr. Barnhouse was a well-known pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, he lost his wife when his daughter was really young. And one day they were out driving and, and a moving truck passed them on the road. And the shadow of the moving truck was cast on the car. And this is when Dr. Barnhouse and his daughter, they were working through the grief of losing mom, losing a wife. And Dr. Barnhouse said to his daughter, what would be worse? To get hit by that moving truck or to get hit by the shadow of that moving truck? And his daughter said, um, Dad, of course, it'd be better to get hit by the shadow of the moving truck because that, be, that wouldn't hurt you. That wouldn't kill you. And he said, that's right. Mom was hit by the shadow of death. 
She was hit by the shadow. She's totally okay. She's with Jesus now. She's in glory. But Jesus was hit by the truck of death. He took your sin. He took your mistakes. He took your judgment in hell. And He took it on the cross. He took the truck crash so that you and I could just have the shadow of death cast over us so that we could be with Jesus on the other side in a place of perfect joy, perfect beauty, perfect rest, perfect fulfillment. We've taken the shadow of death. Jesus took the truck. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? If you're here this morning and you've never accepted that forgiveness that Jesus died for you, the truck is coming your way. We don't want it to hit you. We want you to follow Christ. We want you to put your faith in Him and accept His forgiveness. So if you're here this morning and you want to respond in prayer to that this morning, would you look up at me if you want to make a decision to follow Christ this morning? I see you, sir. Anybody else that needs to pray with me this morning? I see you too, sir. Anybody else? I've said it a hundred times. There's no magic prayers. But I want to, if you would pray this in your heart, and if you mean it, God will hear it. If this is real faith, God will hear it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need hope today. I need to make my RSVP today. Because I want to be with you in the clouds. I want to be reunited with my church family. I want to be there. So today, I'm saying I am so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry for all the ways I've failed to obey you. But today I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins. I believe He got hit by the truck so that I could go free, so that I wouldn't be judged, so I could have new life. And now, Lord Jesus, help me follow you all the rest of my life. I praise you right now as my risen Savior. And I look forward to the day when I get to see you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.